Let me pray. So God, we, uh, one of the songs we just sang said when the church of Christ was born, the spirit lit the flame. And the Holy Spirit has been absolutely, completely active ever since then. And uh, so we acknowledge that this is where we're sitting right now is not a classroom. It's not a theology center. It's not a place where we can become more morally good people. It's a place where we can connect with and listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's why we're here. So I pray, Holy Spirit, you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, things you want us to hear and see, um, so you can lead us to the next step in our journey to become full of the life and power that comes from God alone, because that's what you said we can be. So um, speak to us and let us listen. We ask on your name. Amen. So uh, some of you kind of know my story, but let me just tell you little parts of my story. And is that put the put on the put the slide up there? Yeah. So I was born to a pretty good family. Uh, parents loved each other. One of five boys. Um, what more could you want, right? Um, I was born with athletic and academic gifts, reasonable, not not excelling, but good. What more could you want, right? All right. I had an opportunity for a great college education and a great graduate school education. What more could you want? Right. Married to an incredible woman with incredible gifts. What more could you want? I mean, I, I dreamed. I always dreamed when I was in high school I'd marry a daughter of a doctor. I don't know why, but I, that's, I, what more could you want? You get what you want. I, I, I mean, all right. uh, had, I've had really good jobs, comfortable pay, comfortable income, good benefits. What more could you want? Four great kids, very proud of them. They all follow Jesus. What more could you want? Have a nice home, decent cars. I didn't use nice or good for that. Decent cars. Good insurance, and, and I have relatively good health. What more could you want? Right? I attend church every Sunday. I read my Bible. I pray. I tithe regularly. What more could you want? Right? I'm 61 years old. I want more. I don't want more money. I don't want more things. I don't necessarily want more stuff. Go to the next slide, but I want more. In this series, I'm going to start today, and actually a continuation of the revival series, but instead of calling it Christmas Revival all through the winter, which would be kind of odd, I'm just going to call it Want More. Because the heart of revival is that we want more. All right? I want more in my relationship with my kids. I want more with my, in my relationship with my wife. But ultimately, I want more in my relationship with God. I don't want to become, I don't want more religious activity. I don't want more necessarily morality. I want more in my relationship with Jesus. And the, and the verse I'll tag it with the next couple of Sundays is a Psalm 85 where the psalmist says, won't you revive us again so your people can rejoice in you? And, and what was interesting to me when I was looking at this, that passage in Psalm 85 was there seems to be a connection between joy, rejoicing in God, and his activity of reviving us, bringing us back to life. Revival, in a sense, is when God gets the attention of his people in significant ways, and then the world notices and somehow are drawn to God. So there seems to be this connection, again, between revival and joy. And if we were to 
let's say if joy was a 10-point scale, there's zero, and 10 is like ultimate joy, the joy that Jesus promised. Most of us, probably, if we're honest, maybe at the four or five level, all right? So we know there's more. Jesus talks about a kind of joy that we know is different than what we're experiencing, and sometimes we feel, maybe you're like me, you feel kind of guilty or bad, or what am I doing wrong? Because Jesus said I'm supposed to have this incredible joy. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul today, who had incredible joy in, in really bad circumstances, and then we think, What's, why am I not over here more? I can pretend that I'm there, but I'm not. But joy sometimes can be elusive. I mean, joy, not just like happiness, not like you finally got a good meal or whatever, but joy. What? And there's something, something tied with God reviving us and joy. So in this picture, I, maybe you can't tell with the lighting, but I, I don't know what mountain range it is, but I, I don't think it's Everest, but I don't know. But the idea of when you think about people who do those extreme things is because they want more. They want this sense of adventure. They want to accomplish something. And I'm going to encourage you, and I think we all feel this way, maybe encourage you to embark on a journey of wanting more of God. I'm not saying we shouldn't be. I'm, I'm, I'm content with my life. I'm not satisfied in my relationship with God. There's a difference. I'm content. I'm not a discontented, you know, I'm content, but I'm not satisfied. I want more, right? So, revival, and I, this is what I talked about before Christmas. Put the next slide up there. A couple different marks of revival that, that and it will, you know, there's been revival throughout history. There's revivals in the Bible, and I'm not talking about revivals that are kind of wacky and weird, although wacky and weird things happen. But this is typically the, the, the markers of revival. And we're going to look, starting next week, look at some revivals that happen in the Old Testament, mostly in the book of Kings and Chronicles. And some of the, how did that happen and what happened? And we can't make it happen. It's not going to be a, okay, if you follow these three steps, you can revive yourself. It's more of a, an attitude of expectation that when God does something, we're ready for it. But we're not going to create it. But whenever revival happens in Scripture or throughout history, whether it was the Welsh Revival of 1859 or the Shantung Revival in China in 1927, these kind of things happen. The status quo is shocked. The status quo, you're, you got your Christian life, you do things a certain way. Something, there's a stunning shock. God does something. People who walk in darkness see great light. Something happens. God gets attention in kind of a shocking way. Uh, sin is exposed. Confession of sin is almost, if not always, a significant part of God reviving us, where he shows us things that maybe we think are just like little issues, but he's like, no, no, you got to deal with that, all right? Status quo shock, sin exposed. There's often supernatural stuff. By that, you know, you, at Pentecost, they were speaking in tongues, and other revivals throughout history, there's that kind of activity as well as healings and other things that seem to be like you can't explain it except for supernatural reality of the Holy Spirit working. And then the last marker of revival is always going to be strong opposition. And I'm not talking necessarily from people. I'm talking spiritual opposition. Satan will always oppose anytime. If God's going to do something new in my life or your life, um, Satan is vehemently opposed to that. He doesn't care if we just do status quo. And I'm not saying all of our status quo is bad, but Satan really doesn't care if we just keep doing what we're doing 
and not push on to want more, right? So I thought to, to, to do this, I, I thought, you know, I was, one of the things I've realized when I've read about or th thought about a lot about revival and change in our lives, it does, to some degree, start with wanting more. It starts with desire. It doesn't start with religious teaching necessarily or whatever. It starts with desire. So to do that, I'm going to look, we're just going to look today at the Apostle Paul as kind of a really, really, really good example of somebody who wants more. And again, like I said, next week we're going to be jumping back to the Old Testament of revivals where somebody wanted more and then something began to happen and people began to change. So, so go to the next slide there. So here's the question we're asked. Paul, what, what more could you want, right? I talked about what more could I want in life. You know, think about what more. But let's look at the apostle Paul's life. What, what more could he want? I mean, he... We're going to look at, I'm not going to, we're not going to turn there, but 2 Corinthians 11, Philippians 3, Paul talks about his life. But here's some things that were true of Paul, all right? He was a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. I mean, what more could you want? He was the top of the chain, right? I mean, he was a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Of the 12 tribes, Benjamin was like a really special tribe. So what more could you want? He was a member of the Pharisees, trained by Gamaliel. He had an elite education. What more could you want? He obeyed the law without fault. Very zealous to honor God. Look at the kind of person he was. What more could you want? Then, then you think about Paul's life. I mean, that was, you know, oh, what, you know people want, aspired to be like Paul. You know, well-trained, religious, zealous. But then you realize there's part of Paul's life that you would think it would expose his wants, right? So this is from 2 Corinthians 11. And again, I'm asking Paul, what more could you want? And people stand around, Paul, what more could you want? You have all that training and stuff. But then he tells us, 2 Corinthians 11, he was put in prison often. He faced death again and again. Five times, Jewish leaders gave him 39 lashes. That's with a whip. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. Three times shipwrecked. Once he spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. And these things here happened. We don't know what happened after that, but this happened and five years later. He's writing Philippians, which we're going to look at soon. But this is just the beginning of his. Spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. He's traveled many, I've traveled many long journeys, he said. He said, I faced danger from rivers, robbers, Jews, Gentiles, and false believers in cities and in deserts and the seas. I faced, he faced danger all the time. Now when we're asking Paul, what more could you want? That kind of becomes a muted question because, well, I, would, I don't want that. I mean, give me the elite education and give me the high reputation. What more could you want? But now he has this and so he's worked hard and long. He endured many sleepless nights. I've been, he's been hungry, thirsty. He said, I've often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep warm. So now we don't ask Paul, what more could you want? We're just like, Paul, what do you want? I mean, that, look, at, you had all this, but then you're telling us all this happened. 
Because now if I'm asking Paul, what more do you want? More, what do you want? Here's what, I would, here's what I would say if I'm Paul. I want to live, without, I live life without pain, discomfort, and inconvenience. That's what I want. I don't want to be whipped. I don't want to be stoned. I don't want to be beaten anymore. That's Paul. I don't, that's what I would want. I don't want to be in danger for my life anymore. I don't want to be hungry. I don't want to be thirsty. I don't want to be sleepless. I don't want to be cold. That's what I would think Paul would want. I mean, what more could you want? He just wants, he's not asking for much, right? He just wants comfort, convenience. I don't want to be beaten, whipped, stoned, sleepless, hungry, thirsty. I just, just want to be normal, is maybe what Paul would say. I want to, I want, I want to have the good life by a definition that we realize maybe isn't biblical. So then, when we know all that, I mean, all his pedigree, that he actually says in Scripture, he counts it like dung. It doesn't really matter to him anymore. And we think, wait a minute, what more could you want with that? Good reputation, good education, probably wealth. But then he has all this going on, pain, suffering, his back, slashed and whipped because of Jesus, not because he was a bad person, because of Jesus. So then, then we, now we ask Paul, okay, Paul, what, what do you want? I mean, you have that, but now we have this. What, what do you want? Because Paul doesn't say he wants convenience, comfort, predictability in life. He doesn't say he wants that. So it's like, what do you want, Paul? I mean, what, you want more of what? Because, I, again, if I'm Paul, I want more of easy life, right? So when you look at see what Paul wants, for me, when I read it, and I think for you, it's actually shocking. Because given what he had, then what he had to experience, if you were asking, Paul, what do you, what do you want? What more do you want? We would think he would say, I just don't want any more of that. I want more of this, reputation, status, you know, boat in a car, whatever Paul might have wanted or what people in his day wanted. I want, you know, this is better, that's better, better retirement, all right? So then we turn to Philippians. And again, Philippians, Paul was in prison in Rome when he wrote Philippians, so prison there was uh, putrid, dirty, he had to have meals burned. It wasn't, I mean, nobody wants to be in prison today, but none of us would have wanted to even been near prison then. It was a horrible experience. He was in prison because he preached about Jesus. So he's in prison, doesn't know his destiny, eventually gets martyred in Rome, beheaded in Rome, doesn't know his destiny, but he knows it's not He's not going to have this again, status, prestige, money. He knows that, and he knows what he's had. And if you stop there, that's me. I'm maybe a little bit embittered because, Jesus, I, I gave my life for you, and I'm getting this, and now I'm here. And so we go to Philippians, and I just took out... Five different, or actually four passages where Paul says what he wants. Again, under the, under the kind of 
umbrella of what, do you, what more do you want, Paul? This is what he wants. This is from Philippians. Go to the next slide. Here's one of them. He says, I want you, and he's talking to the Philippians, and he's talking to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand what really matters so you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ returns. So what really matters? And given his context of experience, I've had this, I've experienced that, I want you all to know what really matters. And what really matters, he says, is this pure and blameless life about waiting for Christ to return. But that's what he wants. I mean, again, I want more comfort, more food, less, con- less discomfort, more convenience. That's what He says, no, I want you to know this is what really matters. Then Philippians 1.12, go to the next slide. He says, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me has helped to spread the good news. It's like, wow, I mean, this is what I want. I want you to understand what really matters. I want you to know what's happened to me. You know, all this stuff, all this list of stuff that's happened to me. It's spread the gospel about Jesus to people. And he's not saying that in a snarky attitude. He's saying that with joy. I mean, the, the, the book of Philippians, in terms of just how many times it appears, talks about joy probably more than any book of the Bible. Joy, rejoice, and he's in prison. All right, so that was Philippians 1.12. I want you to know that everything has happened to me has helped spread the good news. Next slide, Philippians 2.17. I want all of you to share that joy. So here goes, you here go back to this connection of joy and being revived. I mean, God revive us so we can rejoice. And he says, well, I want you to share that joy. Well, the joy he talks about in Philippians 2.17 is he's, this what precedes this statement? I will rejoice even if I lose my life, and I want you to share that joy. So, it, for me, it flips upside down and sideways and all over the place. The definition of joy, like, is Paul just weird? I want you to share this joy. And then in Philippians three ten, he says what to me is kind of the it's shocking, but I think it is the undergirding foundational starting point of revival for my life, your life, the life of our church, the life of the churches in Bloomington, the life of churches around the world. Paul says this. This is what I want. Go to the next slide. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Now, you ask, what, what more could you want? I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection that raised him from the dead. The Bible tells us the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of us. We know that. Paul says, I, I want to know it more. I want to I get it. I want to live that way. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, experience of mighty power that raised him from the dead. And then he follows up by saying, I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. I'd really prefer that last part of the verse would just be scratched out, right? But what more could you want? Paul wants this. I want experience the power of the resurrection of Jesus in my life. I want to know supernatural reality in my life. But he's not saying it because I want to be like a powerful person and people come to flock to me and I can heal people, da 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 But he said, then he says, I also want to share his suffering. 
I want to become like him in his death. And Paul knows what he's talking about to some degree with suffering. Whipped, stoned, beaten with rods, imprisoned, floating at the sea, floating at sea, shipwrecked. He knows that. So what more could you want? He says this. <laughs> My response is, who is this guy? Who thinks like that? Paul missed the memo about what it means to have the American dream, right? He does, this is what he wants. I want to know Christ and the power that raised him from the dead. I want to share in his sufferings. And it's like this deep level, what I'll say, it's the deep level of desire. It's this deep level of wants. And I think that's the starting point of revival. Do you want that? Do you want more? I mean, when you go to the want more, next slide I think it is, right? Yeah, want more. You know, I'm 61. Some of you are in your 20s, 30s, 40s, whatever, teens. Where's, is, is Jesse? Where's Jesse? Teens, all right. So what do you want more of? Yeah, I'm, yes, I want to have a house where the heat works, right? I want to have a car that drives, and for me, the air conditioning has to work or I won't drive it, right, in the summer, right? I want those things, and some of those wants aren't bad. But if I misplace my want meter and say, that's what I want, I want this kind of family, this kind of marriage, I want this, and I'm going to make sure that happens, and I have to get another job so I can do this, I've got to do this, I want that. Those wants aren't bad. But the want more has to start with, foundationally, I want to know Christ more. I'm not saying I want to be more religious. I'm not saying I want to be more moral. I'm not saying I want to attend church more, give more, read my Bible more. Those are all good things. But ultimately, do I want to know Christ more? And if you have that want unconditionally, God, I want to know you more. I mean, Paul says, I want to know Christ, the power of resurrection. I want to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. You have to take that whole verse together. You can't say, I want to know more of Christ in power, but no difficulty, no discomfort. I don't want that. You can't, you can't do that. You can't splice the verse in half. And I'm not saying I want suffering either. I don't want suffering. You don't want, I don't want any of you to suffer. But Paul seems to kind of connect this sense of, if I want to know the power of the resurrection, I can't cross this off. It's not like a menu item. I'll take that, but I don't. Can you take this off the sandwich, please? You can't do that. It's like, no, I, I, I want this. It's kind of like God writes the menu, no substitutions, <laughs> no changes. But then what Paul wants and what he has and the joy he talks about, that's what I want. I want the joy Paul talks about. The joy. He's in prison. He's been beaten. He's been on the, but he's talking about joy all the time. And again, when I talk about the joy Paul talks about, it's like when Jesus talks about joy, he talks about this overflowing sense of well-being that has nothing to do with the external circumstances in your life. Nothing. It has nothing to do with your wealth, how you're dressed, whether you've had food or not. Nothing. I want that kind of joy. I think you do too. I think if, if, if we could just say, if I had that kind of joy, I'd be happy. I think we all want that, but then we realize, well, 
How do you get there? I mean, this is, again, on my joy scale, zero to ten. We all want the ten of joy that Paul talks about and that Jesus talks about, a joy that seems to be like trans, it transcends human life, transcends difficulty, pain. That's what Paul wants. And he's experienced that, so he knows what he's talking about. He's not talking about glibness. I was, I was at a church one time, this is years ago, and somebody up from the up front said, I think when we leave church, we should all have this great big Jesus smile on our faces. And it was said in a, maybe well-intentioned, but it felt like a, a plastic kind of, we should all say we're joyful in Jesus, even though if we're honest, we're kind of discouraged or kind of feel low or whatever. But no, he, I'm talking about real joy. I'm not talking about fake joy. I'm not talking about the joy that I feel when I'm highly caffeinated. That's not joy. That's just physical energy or whatever, right? I'm talking about joy, which is I, something inside of my soul that no matter what happens to me, no matter what happens to my bank account, my, my family, my friends, my life, my health, no matter what happens, there's something in me that says, I'm good because I trust God. I'm good. Hard, yeah, but I'm good. And not just I'm good, I'm good, and there's something inside of me that's full and alive. And everybody else looks at you like we look at Paul and say, are you crazy? Paul's like, no, I'm not crazy. I I know what joy feels like. So this whole idea of wanting more, and this will be the kind of this, title of the series for the next number of weeks. And again, we go, next week we're going to go into the Old Testament where God's people were in different situations that kind of slipped into a status quo that was very religious but deadly in their life with God. And they had this pattern and God shocked the status quo because the status quo was probably yielding a level of spiritual joy that was way down here, but they, had, you know, were, they were masking over with all kinds of temporal and this worldly joy. And God's like, that's not what I want for you. I want that for you. And so God shocks them, exposes things in their lives, does incredible supernatural stuff, because God is ultimately, absolutely, completely committed to us being full of that kind of joy, that kind of peace, that kind of generosity, that kind of kindness, that kind of forgiveness. And it cannot be faked. It has to be, and it has to be developed in the way that God's... I mean, even the scripture talks about Jesus, says Jesus, for the joy set before him, went to the cross. It's like, wait a minute. For the joy... Set before him, he won't endure the cross. So, any, and again, I'm just, uh, go to the next slide. I think, yeah, 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 all right, then we'll finish with this. So, every week I'm, I'm going to try to make some reference to some historical revivals. The Shang, Shantung Revival was in China, 1927, 37. Thousands of people came to know Jesus. Many people in the church kind of dealt with stuff in their lives and became pure, pure in their following of Jesus. And it transcended denominations. There, was, there were Lutherans, Tom, and part of, the, part of the revival. Tom's background is Lutheran. There were Baptists. There were Baptists that were speaking in tongues like, oh my goodness, what's happening, right? All, right the, all kinds of stuff was happening. But one of the marks of the revival over that period of years 
was this prayer, Lord, revive your church and begin with me. Lord, revive your church and begin with me. Because revival starts in the church. It's not like we look at the rest of the country, our really country really, really needs revival because look at what's happening with all the values in our country and all everything's going. The, the, the starting point of revival is not to look at what's happening to the values of the world. The start, part of the starting point of revival is me. Lord, revive your church and start with me, the pastor. Revive your church, start with us. All right, start with us. It's not, revival doesn't start with this accusing, pointing of the finger toward the ways of the world. That will change if the church changes. We change. We're open. We, we say we want more of God, regardless of what that means we have to walk through. So, do you want more? Do I want more? Lord, revive your church and begin with me. So, let's pray. So, Jesus, um, my prayer is that you revive the church, revive Exodus Church, begin with me. My prayer is that you revive the church in Bloomington, begin with us. Um, my prayer is that you revive the church in America, begin with Bloomington, begin with the church in Bloomington. And we know that's not asking simply for thrills and power. We know that that involves a journey to joy that gets to the reality of joy that's not fake. And we know that's not always easy. And it may be exposing to us in ways we don't want to be exposed. I don't want to be exposed. I don't want... My status quo is okay with me, but it may not be okay with you, God. So begin with me, begin with us, and uh, give us all a want to know you more. There's one of my favorite quotes is from a book, A.W. Tozer, and he says that I want to know you more, but God, sometimes the best we can say is I want to want to know you more. And maybe sometimes the best we can say is, I want to want to want to know you more. Wherever we are, God, can we offer that to you? We want to be the place where we say we want more. But if we're not there, can you take whatever seed of want we have and grow it? Because we want more of you. Period. No conditions. And... Um, you promise that if we pursue you, we find you. If we seek you with all our heart, we find you. So show us how to seek you with all our hearts. We don't always understand what that means, but you can show us. We'll listen. We'll follow. And we ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.